You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg.
what's so amazing about that water is that it stops is just a trickle. So it says in the scripture, just a trickle.
We're going to continue in this message. We're going to talk about the soft spot of the Lord and about the things that touch the Lord. Just continue in the presence of the Lord. We're going to continue, uh, change channels, so to speak. We're, we have the ambiance of heaven here with us, so let's just stay in that place. Bible in the New Testament in reference to the Spirit of God. Of course, in the Old Testament, we see the anointing. In the New Testament, we know this passage in 1 John. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. <laughs> yeah. And all of you know the truth. And this is one of the things that the anointing does. The presence of the Lord makes you able to know the truth. Because the anointing is not a lie. It's real. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in you. Now, although this is one of the few places in the New Testament that speaks directly about the anointing as God's presence and power. It is quite ample in its discussion about many things. Uh, we see the Spirit moving in meetings. We see God moving where He is welcome. And uh, we often think of it as wind. In fact, in the second chapter of Acts, there was a mighty rushing wind that came. We talk about the wind of the Spirit. We see it as water, just like we did a moment ago talking about the, the living water. These are analogies that we use, although the, the there is actually a living water and it is real, but we cannot see it with our natural eyes here on earth. There will come a time where we see it uh, physically, and in fact it will flow and continues flowing here in the Spirit. We also use the term fire because the Bible says that He would baptize you uh, with the Holy Ghost and fire. So... Fire! 
also peace. His peace can come on you and you can feel very tranquil, tranquil and rested. Sometimes it stirs you. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift. Fan back in the flames, the fire that you received from the lay translation that they could do. They used over a 3,000 word vocabulary to create this really wonderful Bible. And they tried as often as they could to stay true to these original words, but they awkwardly came out as things like bowels of mercy. But it is actually accurate. And also, there's, for instance, I'll give you some instances, there's a Hebrew word that is matching this, that's also translated as bowels but it's kind of strange when you hear it, for instance, in Song of Solomon, it says, when my lover come, um, I, 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 I was moved in my bowels. Now, of course, we know that if a lover comes, we're not moved in our bowels. But what it really means is that the insides of an individual are twisted and turned. And you feel it in the center of you. And to have the bowels yearn, figuratively feel sympathy to pity, coming from splachnon, which this word that means spleen or intestines, figuratively pity or sympathy. But even the strongest definition kind of takes away from what you see in the manifestation of it. 
So sometimes we use it in terms like this, right? We say something is gut-wrenching. Do you ever say that? You see something that moves you and you feel something. Uh, maybe you see an accident. Maybe you see someone who's crippled. Maybe you see something that touches you. A lost child in the shopping center crying, saying, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. That to me is gut-wrenching. And I know I, I want to do something. I look for security. I will work, I will work for that child until that child finds... Because uh, I would want... If my child was lost, I would want that. So these are things that touch us. And these are things that cause feelings inside that we think of as compassion and are translated compassion. But there's more to it than that. And really the same things that we feel are what Jesus feels. And Jesus is moved by certain things that he experiences. But if we're not careful, we can harden our hearts to not feel that. Uh, you can resist the feelings. Uh, it's exactly what happens when the Spirit moves in a church service. Uh, we feel it on the inside. But we also sometimes in discomfort try to, to uh, stay that or resist it in such a way because we don't want to end up perhaps on the floor or, or crying or shaking. And just this morning I was talking to a new believer and he, in his mind he was a little afraid of the manifestation of the Spirit because Satan had already gotten to him and told him that wherever things like this would happen, in fact, be careful because it can be an evil spirit. And so this is a common thing that now people, now people who do not have the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in their meetings, they're very stoic, simple, quiet meetings. I don't have any criticism for any church or any method. God be with everyone, do whatever you want, but I read my Bible and I like to do exactly what it says. And if in the second chapter of Acts they were mistook as drunks, that means something was happening that made the people believe some type of behavior that proved that they were losing control. Uh, we see that in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul um, is speaking to the church. He says, when I came to you, I wanted to preach the simple gospel to you. But after I had come amongst you, I entered into a state of fear and trembling. In the Greek, it means that he had tremors, almost like convulsions. And as a result of that, he could not speak clearly the message but yet everyone was convinced of his demonstration or his display and his message was received. But as he says, not because of the persuasive words of man's wisdom, but because of the demonstration of the Spirit. So throughout the Bible, and I'm, I don't have to really spend a lot of time establishing it, I think I'm in a room full of people that understand that and accept the manifestation of the Spirit. But there are there is an enemy trying to stop that from happening. I'm speaking toward what is a problem in this nation and why revival has not truly broken out yet. Because there are limits and there are walls and there are boundaries that are being put up and erected against the move of the Spirit because people are afraid. Because the enemy has already come in and seated them and told them that it's this Spirit or that Spirit. I simply say this, what if you cry out to your Heavenly Father and ask for the Holy Spirit and the result is what you feel and see here? Well, the Bible very clearly says if we know how to get good gifts, how much more does He know how to give us when we ask the Holy Spirit? It says He's not going to give you a scorpion or a snake if you ask for that. He's going to bless you and give you what He needs you to have. But so we, can, we need to be careful not to harden our hearts. 
one of the reasons why people have this trouble is because they go online and open themselves up to every wind of doctrine and they open themselves up to many teachers that have not the anointing. They don't have the anointing. If you have the anointing, as we read in introduction in um, 1 John, then you don't need someone to teach you. You understand. You know the truth because you feel it and you can tell the difference. It's night and day. It's hot or cold. <laughs> And like we say around here, when it's hot, it's hot. When it's not, it's not. When the Spirit is not on something, it's very obvious because when the Spirit is on something, you know, it's hot. So therefore, we can distinguish clearly. We can distinguish what God is doing and let God be God. And when that happens, that touch, that is, that is the compassion of God on you. His, when Jesus is for you, he will move in you and you will feel that stirring. But we have to be open to it. And there are things that that limit him. We go on five things that move Jesus. And this is using that Greek word everywhere it appears in the Bible. So we come to the first one. A lack of knowledge, ignorance that is, can move him. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Now, before we go on from here, I want you to understand that when you think of Jesus, often you'll think, well, Jesus was a philosopher, a prophet type. He was very uh, calm. Sometimes if you look at the Renaissance paintings of what I call the greasy Jesus, his hair is all pasted to his, you know, he looks like he's suffering. They love the suffering. I, I like a happy Jesus because he was happy. When he found out that the disciples had power, to cast out demons and they come back and told him he said look that's great uh, but don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you but that your names are written in heaven and then there's a Greek term that says that he jumped about like a wild animal rejoicing it just says he rejoiced exceedingly but it means he leapt about so this Jesus is an excited Jesus he's excited about the things of God he's excited about what his father does Especially when it comes to the Spirit of God and the power of God in the world. So he's traveling around sharing the good news of the kingdom. And as a result of that, when he preaches, of course, there's healing, every sickness and disease. However, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Remember, that is uh, that word that we talked about. Um, or however you want to pronounce it. It simply means he was turned, twisted inside. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they had no direction. They had no, no one to lead them, guide them, instruct them, and tell them the truth. They had teachers. Now, these people had teachers. They had religious teachers. They had doctors of the law. They had Pharisees, Sadducees that were there, that were over them. Sanhedrin was a government. As one evangelist said, once they had the Sadducees, Pharisees, the wouldn't sees and the couldn't sees people who refused to open up to the moving of the Spirit. So when Jesus saw them, he saw them like sheep without a shepherd, even though they were in a religious system, because they weren't receiving the kind of messages. So their ignorance or their misunderstanding, it moved him deeply. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And it continues on in the next chapter. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And this is the moment when they went and then returned and told Jesus and he rejoiced exceedingly because of it. 
Because when he saw and had compassion on the fact that people did not know. Of course, we have this in one realm, just in salvation. We know that if someone uh, does not know Jesus as Savior, they need to know when they find the, the knowledge of Christ, they can get saved by believing that He indeed died on the cross for their sins, was buried, and rose again. They believe and confess Romans 10, 9 and 10. They're saved. Salvation comes to them. Names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's one level. But there's further enlightenment that comes from there. We see in the book of Acts where people had received the baptism of John and believed in Jesus, but they said, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, no, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And so it had to be explained to them, well, and they spoke, and then, of course, as a result, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's a whole other level of ignorance at the body of Christ. And many believers are not operating and not living in the fullness of the Spirit of the Lord for them. And this is really my greatest concern. And it translates into revival for the believers not living in the fullness of the power of God's presence. That compassion can do that. And it's what always has driven my ministry. That I see. I see people who come in to the touch of the Lord and to the presence of the Lord and they may have been Christians for a long time but when they actually receive it one of the first things that they feel is great compassion for their brothers and sisters that don't have not yet experienced the reality of the presence of the Lord moving and they are moved with it and that means something must be done because wherever there's compassion manifesting in the Bible an action has to follow it the result will be some action to remedy the problem if people have a lack of knowledge that means they have to be taught they need to be instructed he was teaching in their synagogues he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease so signs and wonders were following now, he realized at this moment, though, what really stirred his heart was that he knew that he could not possibly, as one individual, be enough to reach everybody. It's just limitless. There'd be so many. He knew that there would have to be more laborers. And so he tricks his disciples by telling them to pray. Probably when he first tells them, they're very happy. Yes, praise God, Lord of the harvest. Send forth laborers. Not knowing in the very moment they said it, Jesus was saying, right, that's you. Because he turns right around and says, he called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then he sends them out. And so this is his response, his compassion, that feeling inside of the people without knowledge was equip, strengthen, empower, and send. You always see this happen. And we inherit this from Jesus. Uh, we receive it, then we become the ones. Another reason is a lack of health. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Now, in this case, he felt something inside. The same word is used in Mark, where it says, So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons, and a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing... You can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. You think Jesus was indignant? This is that word again. You see how they don't know what to do with it. What do we do with this? This word, and in this, in the Greek here, it means as he's having a response, he it means to snort like a horse. You ever hear a horse go? Yes. He'll make that sound and make a snort. They'll blow out air. 
That is literally what this means. Now, they just said, they, 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 now, now theologians and people have prepared this, especially because it just so happens that many of the theologians that translate our Bibles of today do not really have the anointing. They have a lot of education, but they're not dependent upon the Holy Spirit to enlighten them. And so they have no comparable behavior to think. But I certainly understand if someone would snort and feel. Because when you feel, you feel that, that shaking from the inside. So he snorts like that <clears throat> and then reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So you see that the manifestation of the Spirit through compassion, as it's called here, will cause Jesus to, every time you see this happen, it's always followed by his hand. Because we know the importance of the laying on of hands. That when the power is released through Jesus, he reaches out and he touches. And he feels the feeling first. It's actually, it's systematic. You see it throughout the scriptures. He has the feeling, the impulse, because everything he did, did by the will of the Father. So the Father sends the Holy Spirit. He said, I will ask the Father and he will send the Spirit to you. So the Holy Spirit comes as an agent of the Father, just as Jesus was a representative of the Father. Although in him dwelled the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the Spirit today on earth is acting by the will of the Father in us. When the Spirit comes, the will of God, our Father, is given to us just as it was to Jesus. And it manifests like this. So that it becomes evident what is hot and what is not. And what you should and shouldn't do by the anointing that's on you. That's why you don't have to be confused. Jesus felt that the man came. It says, begged him on his knees. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Well, when Jesus heard the request, well, you know there's other requests that were made of Jesus and he outright refused them. Uh, they don't write a lot of them, but we do see the one with the Syrophoenician woman, which was kind of a test of her, the Canaanite woman. And he said, no, no, I'm not giving the children's bread to the dogs. You know that story. I'm not sent, but to the lost sheep of Israel. And, of course, she persisted, pressed in, and got what she wanted anyway, because faith will always win in the end, and by our faith we're healed. But in this case, he came as on his knees, and in that display, in the leprosy on him, Jesus, you have to picture exactly what happened. He came and said, and Jesus looked at him, heard the request, and said, <clears throat> and reached out and touched him. And he says, I can. So you see, that was the manifestation of the Spirit flowing out of him. The power of God. Now, it's kind of hard to understand this if you haven't actually experienced it. But I have actually experienced it. On more than a few occasions. I've experienced it, I could say now, hundreds and hundreds of times when I'm praying for people in a prayer line and they've come I don't even know what they're there for sometimes they come up I'll give a general call for healing and as they come up and pray sometimes I reach up and just as I'm about to touch them I I feel and I literally make a noise and my bowels will tighten up my body convulses and that's how I know oh yeah that's it and I will say at that moment that's it that's the anointing that's the anointing. I will mark it and tell them. Therefore, their faith connected with my faith says, okay, that's the anointing. And I'm not basing it on a mystical faith declaration. It is the anointing. I'm not trying to, it's like a Jedi mind trick. You feel the anointing. No, I feel it come in me. I mean, it physically affects me. And so then I release it. Jesus did that. Uh, most of you have heard the story about that boy that was healed in Neus, that was dying, lying on the ground. They brought us there. 
and they brought us to pray for that child and I looked at the child while another pastor friend of mine was talking to the mother and the father about the case of the child and I was simply I was moved with compassion sad, so sad because this boy his eyes were deep and sunk in uh, he was breathing very quickly like death rattle breathing like chain stokes breathing just <laughs> Just grasping, I could feel the heat off of his body standing there. His fever was so high. And I got down on my knees to feel his forehead, because that's what you do, right? You can see if someone has a fever. And when I did that, as soon as my hand touched his head, now mind you, we were not praying, but as soon as my hand touched his head, I felt that I, I was indignant. <laughs> it came upon me, and I convulsed, and I snorted. <gasps> like that. And so much so that it felt like electricity shot through my body. I jumped up and was frightened. Whereby, um, at that moment that I jumped up, the boy's breathing immediately changed from <sighs> to <sighs> he started breathing, and I knew, oh, he's, he's healed. Now, at that time, the pastor and the family were still talking about the problem, whereby the pastor turned around and looked at me and says, Oh, we're going to pray for the boy. And I thought, Too late. <laughs> it's already done. Because God works above and beyond us. His thoughts, His ways are above ours, it says in the Scripture. So He's going to do what He has to do. I just thought I was checking for fever. I, so many times I've seen God do amazing things when I was not expecting it. I'm waiting for confirmation. I shared that story about in Batam. The lady took my hand, put it on her upper chest, and I felt what felt like a collarbone protruding. And as I prayed for her, it disappeared. And I thought it was a bone, but later I realized when it disappeared, the power of God hit her. She fell on the ground. I felt that same thing. <gasps> felt it go out. And that bone disappeared. But I really believe it was a tumor that was in her chest. God does that. I've only felt that a couple of times in my ministry. But it's every time I see something amazing happen, it's always connected to this moment, this grunt, this snort, this feeling. That happens, and this is the way that this is what moves Jesus. When he sees a need for healing, when he sees a problem in your life, it moves him enough for him to do something. Look at Matthew 20 30, where it says, Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them, What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. There's that word again. Jesus felt that feeling in his spleen, on his inside. He was stirred and his first response was what? Touched their eyes. So see the manifestation of the Spirit and then it came out of him, the power to heal Immediately they received their sight and followed him. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethany on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. And he goes on talking about his responses to that anointing when he saw this lack of health. And if we yield, God can use us the same way. If you have something, it's the same. Number three, he's also moved. One of his soft spots is a lack of provision. When there's lack in your life, when you don't have what is needed. Jesus called his disciples, Matthew 15, 32, and said uh, to him, and he said, I have compassion for these people. And then there's that word again. I feel this feeling deep inside. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. 
I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answers, where, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, then he took the seven loaves and the fish. Now I want to stop here for a moment. You see again the connection. He felt it, and he said, you have bread? I said, yeah, give it to me. He had to touch it. When he touched it, that's where the miracle power went into the bread to multiply. He had to physically pass that anointing that the Father gave by spirit for it to flow through. And I know that you think, well, Jesus inherently had all the anointing to do. The Bible says that he gave him the spirit without measure. He had the anointing, but he was a channel because he was a physical human being exactly like we are. Although sinless, he was still a human being, 100%. He had to be, or else, or else the sacrifice would have been a farce. It wouldn't have counted. He had to be completely human. And he was completely human, although his father was God. So he flowed, the anointing came through him the same way it does through us. And what moved him in this case was the fact that they did not have what they needed. And when he looks at our lives, he feels this for us, but we don't have enough. So he takes them. He took the seven loaves of fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. But now that it was already blessed, and they took it, and after it had the anointing in it, it started multiplying. They all ate and were satisfied. Later they picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over, and it says that 4,000 men, besides the women and children, ate. So we see again compassion doing something amazing to provide needs you know, when we feel... Now, I may see your life and you may have a need. You may come to me with a physical need. You may say, you know, I don't have enough money to pay such and such a bill. When you have a, a physical bill in your hand, you know, sometimes a paper will come in and you see the bottom line and the due date and you're nervous about it, you're worried about it, that's a need and it disturbs you. And uh, I may, you may come and tell me about it and I may feel compassion. And this is the way it works. Again, the, I'll tell you something. Compassion always has to precede the miracle. Without it, it can't happen. I mean, if you've heard of Smith Wigglesworth. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, ever-increasing faith. One, I've read uh, biographies. I've read some of his actual manuscripts of messages he preached. Amazing man of God. But a lot of people don't really focus on his early life before the miracles began. He was a plumber. And he worked hard at his trade, and he made as much money as he could, but his wife was already always complaining because he would give all the money away. You say, well, what did he give the money to? To sick people. Uh, for years, before any miracle ever happened through him, his compassion for sick people was so great, he would spend his income on medicine and doctors and bandages and whatever it took to heal people. He felt great compassion the father saw that because first comes the compassion, then comes the endowment of power. It goes through that compassion is released to do the miracle. And that one service, Smith Wigglesworth, was there as he usually was. In fact, in his church, his wife was pastor. His wife was the pastor of the church. He was not. First of all, because he couldn't speak. He stuttered and he, he, didn't, he did not speak well. He was ignorant. Uh, he didn't have uh, an education. He couldn't read. He was literally illiterate. So he could not read, and he wouldn't speak in the church. He'd just kind of sit there and be a help. But well, one day, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Why? I don't know. When 
it was after a long season of him manifesting compassion and kindness. And God said, you know, I'm going to anoint him. And he did. The power of God came on Smith Wigglesworth, and he, under the power of the Spirit, walked straight to the front of the church, got behind the pulpit, and started preaching. When he opened his mouth, the stories say that the uh, testimonies about it say that he spoke like an English professor. His words were flawless and perfect. Although before that he had only stuttered and he couldn't speak well, the anointing immediately made him able to speak. And then miracles started happening, specifically miracles of healings. As it increased in his life, wow, the stories you hear, like the one story where he was asked to go and pray for a man in the hospital who was dying, but the man died. And by the time he got there, he just found a dead body. So Smith took the man and picked him up out of the bed and threw him against the hospital wall and screamed, Live! And the body fell on the ground because it was dead. And he picked it up again. And he threw it against the wall and said, Live! And it fell on the ground. Because, I mean, what does a dead body do? It falls on the ground. It can't stand. But he wouldn't quit. He kept picking him up, throwing him, screaming, Live! Live! And finally the man sneezed, coughed, and breathed and came back to life. It actually raised the dead man. Where does such an anointing come from? It comes from compassion. Because all those years he cared and was concerned and sowed his life and his finances and his time. A lot of people want a miracle ministry, but they're not willing to pay the price for the years it takes for God to finally say, as you've been faithful with little, I'm going to give you more. And he sees that. Number four, we see a lack of emotional control. And we saw that tonight, of course. There wasn't a lot of emotional control in the room, but I'm telling you, that's what moves him. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his uh, disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. So he saw her. There's the Greek word. His heart went out to her. Again, translated differently, but it's the same word. And he said, don't cry. He saw her crying and her emotions moved him because he felt her plight and her need and her misery because it was her only son, the only one that could support her in her old age. She was a widow. That means she had no hope other than this one individual who is now dead. And as a result, she was crying. She wasn't holding back her tears. She was weeping. Jesus saw it. And his heart went out to her. In other words, he felt that feeling again. Now, remember, he always touches something, right? After that, he says, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the beer or the platform upon which they were carrying the body. They do this in India. They march down the streets with bodies. And they carry it on their shoulders. We'd see it all the time. The body would just be wrapped in a cloth. Not like in the West we have coffins and we put them in the coffin and they just carry the body down the street, especially the poor. I saw it daily in Bombay when I lived there, or in Mumbai. But he went up to that platform, he reached up there, and under that heart going out and moving the feeling of compassion, the anointing now manifested through him, and he reached up and prayed. And when he touched the beard they were carrying, him, the, the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come.
to help His people. Yeah, God has come to help His people. He's here today to help His people. He's in our services. He's here in spirit. We live in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. He sees your heart. He sees your needs. He sees your lack of emotional control unless you've learned well to stifle your emotions. And this is what I found out a long time ago. He doesn't really respond to the need. This is an important secret. If you get this, you get a lot tonight. The need is not so important. It's how the need affects you. Because until it truly affects you, it seems like nothing happens, right? You have a need, maybe it'll last for a while, and you just you're dealing with it. You're having faith. You're being strong in Christ. Hallelujah! God will provide, no problem. But if it goes long enough, what starts to happen? You get your emotions start taking a toll on you, and you end, it starts affecting you. That lack, that problem, that disease, that whatever it is. And so it manifests finally through you as you cry out to the Lord. Well, that move, he has a soft spot for your emotional outburst or the way the need affects you. When I have a need, I, I don't waste a lot of time bringing it to the Lord until it's really bothered. Because I know I'm, I can pray all I want. If I don't really feel it, it's not going to connect him. Because that's what moves but when I do bring it, I break, I cry, I weep, I scream. I have screamed petitions out to him with such a violent outburst of emotions that I lost my voice and had blood in my mouth. I mean, emotions without limit. Very extreme times in my, I almost lost the citizenship of one of my children because of some stupid things as a young missionary that I did not do properly. And that's when the rubber meets the road again. Lose your child's citizenship. He was going to be a Mexican, which I love Mexicans, but that's not American. And, then, and I'm the American father because we have. It was a home delivery. I did the delivery myself. We were in a very remote area. Uh, there were no doctors. There was no anyone. And I thought, okay, I'll just bring the baby to the consulate. And we'll get this taken care. Of. You can't do that. Just take some baby to the consulate. Yeah, he's mine. Give me a passport. No, they they need to prove all this. I didn't have the proper records, and that really spooked me, and so I cried out to God. God did amazing miracles. I had doctors sign papers that weren't even true. I mean, they just did everything. Doctors forging certificates for me. Because, oh, we trust you. You don't do that. A doctor doesn't do that. Well, they did for me, because God heard my cry when I cried out, and he did supernatural things. They, the consulate, they said, no, you can't, you can't. This is not enough. You don't have any evidence. It's not this. There's no medical records. All you have is this one piece of paper, but we here at the U.S. Embassy, blah, 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 blah. Well, my wife and I, we were so moved. We were out in the waiting area. One of the women that were attending us in the processing of the citizenship of my child, she was so touched by us. Our proof was pictures of our firstborn that looked identical to the secondborn. I said, look at the resemblance. It's obvious. They said, well, we can't just use a photo. Although the photo did have the encoded date on it, they could see. But, and she was convinced, but the one in charge that made the decision said no. And that's all she said. No, no, no. And this woman was arguing for us, but look at them. Really, just can't we do something? She's... Because we refused to leave the, the waiting room. They were going to call security. We stayed in the waiting area there, waiting. And she was saying, no, no, no. And I grabbed my wife's hand. And this great feeling rose, great 
great concern, worry, anxiety, and angst. My heart broken. I, I said some words that have stuck with me because they came by the Spirit. I said, Lord, I appeal to the system of mercy in heaven. Those were the words. I appeal to the system of mercy in heaven. Please help us. Right there, an amazing thing happened. If I hadn't seen it, Mona, that woman was saying, no, no, no. And when I said mercy of heaven, she said, okay, just in this case. Instantly changed. Granted us everything, we got it done. In other words, he watches the way it affects us. If our heart is moved, his heart is moved. Because we are one. We have the Spirit of Christ. What moves him moves us. If it doesn't move us, he's not moved until it moves us. And you can move him because of it. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth, I'll quote him because I was just talking about him earlier. He said, when the Spirit doesn't move, move the Spirit. I love that line. Because it's true. When the, you need never have a moment where the Holy Spirit doesn't move. You don't need that because you can always move the Spirit. Some people, that's a problem with sovereign mentalities about the move of the Spirit. They believe that sovereignly the Lord will move. That's not how it works. Sovereignly He moved 2,000 years ago. Sovereignly the day Pentecost came and went. And ever since then, since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God allows violent behavior to violently take it by So it's our choice. It is now, the ball is in our court. We call the shots when it concerning the moving of the Spirit. You understand? Why else could he tell Timothy to stir up the gift? That means he had the ability to stir it up by our emotions again. This, this whole connection with our insides, the bowels of mercies within us. Then we have one more. Number five, another thing that moves him is a lack of pride. First of all, pride in itself repels him. What does it say? That the proud he sees from afar. He won't approach the proud. Luke 15, 17, when he came to his senses, this is the prodigal son who had already taken his father's wealth, went and squandered it on riotous living, prostitutes, you name it, he did it. Lost everything, he ended up feeding the pigs. Remember, he wanted to eat the pig food and they wouldn't let him eat the pig food. So out there, he came to his senses. Thank God for the mercy of the Lord that allows us to come to our senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now before we go on, I want you to understand what he's coming to his senses was that he once believed that he was entitled, all things belong to him, so much so that he demanded his inheritance. You give me my inheritance now, why should I wait forever? Why don't you give it to me? Why? Because he had a sense of entitlement concerning what would come to him, and he took a very dangerous thing in the kingdom is a sense of entitlement. Everything's by grace, it's a gift. So after he got out there and blew it all, that's when he came to his senses. Thank God for it. Now we know at the end of this story that the father is very happy that, this, that the son went through this and he rejoices so much because now he knew the son learned a lesson. But so now he's 
humiliated himself being willing, although he was a noble-born child as a part of a master that had wealth and power. He did not care about that. He distorted, he humbled himself. He had a lack of pride. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Same Greek word for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You say, what moves Jesus? What moves the father? Well, humility. The lack of pride. Yet there's a lot of people, and you know, you see that even when in, in regards to prayer and communication with God, what does it say? There was a man in the temple that said, I thank you that I tithe and I, and I pray and I fast and I'm this and I'm that. And nothing happened to him, but there was a man in the back of the synagogue beating his chest saying, have mercy on me. The man without the pride. Jesus said, that man went away justified rather than the other. Because that's what moves him. The Father sees the penitent heart and responds with compassion. The result of that compassion is forgiveness and reinstatement. He said, get a robe, get a ring, put it on his finger, get shoes, kill the fatted calf, all because of humility that rose out of this boy's Repentance, really. Someone really repents. And repentance is built on the back of humility. Remember that moment when the man came to Jesus and he couldn't hear, he was deaf. scriptures, there's one where it says that, it says that Jesus, uh, he breathed. It's that same feeling again. He simply sighed. It says he sighed, but it's that same snort, that grunt, that anointing that was coming through Jesus. Right now he's doing that in this room. Right now his spirit is here. Whatever part of this message, whatever you're experiencing in the Holy Spirit, I'm not wise enough to figure out what God is doing in each and every life in this room right now. But I will not stop him from doing what he wants to do. His compassion is here. He's moved for you as you are moving him. So I, with any authority I have, all I can do is bless you in the name of Jesus. Because you are the violent. And the kingdom allows you to take it. Years ago I said, Lord, I want a church. When I was only 17 years old. I said, Lord, I want a church where your presence is so real.
all that he did. <laughs> Finally, he's coming to me in 1995. He spent that year with me, a whole year, where he just basically locked me away in my own house and taught me, taught me these things. These very, these very revelations that I'm sharing with you, this came from that year show me the truth because the anointing can teach you things that are not taught in the seminary show you the inside the truth I want to be on the inside he said that to his disciples he said they're on the outside but you're on the inside you can know things that they won't be able to know I don't want to be on the outside I want to be in the know you see my needs. You see how need in this room today. You know, people who are having an emotional response and they're crying out to you. Sometimes you even weep. It says that when you saw the pain that was caused by the death of Lazarus and his family, that you wept too. Even the hard-hearted Pharisees said, "Look how much he loved him." Oh, just imagine tonight, right now, whatever your problem is, whatever your issue is, that Jesus is standing over you and he's weeping. listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.